welcome to another special edition of the Underground Bunker podcast. I'm Tony Ortega, and I'm currently covering the Danny Masterson trial in Los Angeles. Week three of testimony wrapped up yesterday on November 4th, so we're going to compare notes about this week with Jeffrey Augustine about the highlights of the past few days. Well, Jeffrey, we had a short week at the Danny Masterson trial, but it was still a very event eventful week, wasn't it? Oh, it was very, very, uh, it, there was a lot of information. It was very eventful and it moved fast. The week went by fast, except for, uh, as you noted, uh, Friday afternoon was a little bit slow. Yeah, yeah. Well, we didn't even get started till Wednesday. Let's quickly go through some of the highlights uh, for folks. Um, the, the main highlight, of course, this week was we've got the third of the three victims, Jane Doe 2. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on how well you thought she did compared to the other two. I think she did exceptionally well. I mean, I think all of them have done very well. She was extremely articulate. Um, and she made some very valuable distinctions, I think. So, so in that, in terms of like making distinctions, clarifications, articulation, she was very strong. She's uh, feist. She's feisty. I remember in the prelim a year ago, in particular, she really sparred with Mesro, and there were a few times this week where she kind of let Cohen have it a bit. Didn't, didn't you, didn't you think so? Oh, absolutely. She, she will not take anything. She won't take any flack, uh, from Cohen. She stood her ground and it, and even though she's dealing with something traumatic, she was very strong person and she just wasn't going to take it from Cohen when he was trying to push her. She's going to push back on him and he's not, uh, I think he was, not prepared for that in some instances, you know, she would correct him. Um, so yeah, there was definitely some sparring. She can hold her own with Messero or Cohen or anyone else. Uh, Masterson chooses to hire. So well, I was and impressed let me, with her. Right. Let me just do a real quick background. Jane Doe too is the victim who alleged victim, sorry, who um, had known Masterson socially she was an actress who had been on a network show at only like 20 years old. Um, and so, and she was a Scientologist. So she would see him at, at various social or Scientology events and her friend uh, her, that she was staying with temporarily, Ilaria Urbanati, a designer, I think she invited her out to this bar called the well where Danny was. He was laser focused on her. He asked for her. No- <clears throat> Sorry. He asked for her number he then started, you know, being very aggressive about, come over, come over, bring your bathing suit. Uh, she eventually did go over, thinking that that's just maybe the way he flirted. He gave her a big glass of wine, which made her suspiciously intoxicated. And um, she, she she talked about how she had set boundaries and she agreed to go over. She, is, she is, was, you know, assuming it may be a romantic encounter she was going to allow some kissing, but she was just really adamant, no sex. And I think what the defense has tried to do is saying, yeah, but you were kind of getting into it, right? But, you know, she really made it pretty clear that there, she had laid down this boundary, no intercourse. And then she said he had really just attacked her just brutally. And I, I, I think in the three weeks of testimony, this may have been some of the most brutal and graphic testimony. Did you feel that way? Oh, I do. I, I, I did completely. And um, I, I wanted to add some some subtext to what we're talking about with Jane Doe 2, you know, to give our, our, our listeners some, what I thought was interesting information. She came into Scientology through a field auditor. Her mother had done some Scientology. Yeah. And she wanted to... Um, consider some psychiatric medications and and her mother was opposed do you remember that yep and so this is really interesting to me tony so she said that 
she would sometimes take a little, you know, glass of vodka before she went out or a little right. bit of wine right. for, so, for social anxiety. Now, jumping ahead, it's interesting that, and I've seen this in a lot of, uh, uh, not a lot, but many former members who've left the church I've, I've, who've contacted me, that opposition to psychiatric drugs often can change the course of a person's life. In her case, you know, her mother insisted she go into Scientology. Yeah. And and she went in the same way Tom Cruise did, which was through, he went through a mission, but she went in through a field auditor who then right. sent her to the Celebrity Center. Right. And, and this shows the clear lines of how people get to the Celebrity Center. You know, they start out and, and Scientology has a calling mechanism, celebrity, not a celebrity. It's a very yeah. distinct, uh, you call it, call it the caste system within Scientology. Publix, Scientologists are not, are, are celebrity or not a scient, uh, celebrity, rich, not rich, you know, they, they're Sea Org, not Sea Org. So th I thought that was interesting. Now, she did talk about Masterson being very aggressive. And what struck me about her, she was raised so well by her mother. And she knew how to set boundaries at a young age because she was a working actress at a young age. At one point, she said that she had met Masterson one time before, but she wasn't particularly impressed by the fact he was on television because she had been on television. She had acted. Yeah, right. That, and I watched, I watched Danny flinch when she said that. I wasn't impressed with him because I, I had acted on TV. And Masterson almost had this pissed off look like, yeah, but you weren't my equal. You didn't have a series. <laughs> you know? But it was just one of those little things that got to him. Um, so I, I just want to let, you know, set the stage. So yeah, she set boundaries and she said Masterson was extraordinarily aggressive and she made it, she made it clear to him. She reiterated what the boundaries were and Masterson was not going to respect those boundaries. That's what, that's what became clear. Like when he well, ordered that's, her, that's, that's her testimony. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's her testimony. Exactly. Where she testified that Danny said, get naked now or I will, I will get you naked. Uh, Another uh, observation that you made that I didn't think about it until you brought it up was how much Jane Doe 2 looks like Bijou. Oh, yeah. She's it, it It was quite something. I wasn't going to mention that. But now she's she resembles Bijou. It's very striking. And I was looking at Bijou and I was looking at her. And seeing what kind of, you know, um, physical appearance, you know, Danny goes after. But just something to note. And and there's right. something psychological about that. You could have a discussion. He favors a certain type. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is interesting. Well, I thought, you know, and I, I have the advantage. I saw them all testify a year ago. And I will say that. I think Tom Mesereau did a better job on cross-examination a year ago than Philip Cohen did this time. And I think it may be for two reasons. I think Mesereau's approach was a little more far-ranging. Cohen's is a little narrower. And also, um, I think in retrospect, it was very good for these women to have the Preliminary hearing, I mean, on the one hand, you could say, God, they have to go through this twice. It's like traumatic every time. But I think all three women did better this time than they did in the prelim. And maybe that was just really good practice of being on the stand. So um, I just thought that um, Cohen did not bore into some of the things that Mesro did last year. And it just seemed – and also, remember, Jeffrey – Jane Doe 2 was on direct examination, cross-examination, redirect, re redirect, recross, all in one day. Didn't it feel like the whole thing was pretty quick to you? Yeah, it was very fast. And, you know, she's so, she's so, she's so solid. Her, her mental sharpness was very impressive. And uh, I, thought, I thought D.A. Mueller did a very good job. He's low-key but very effective. On getting her to elicit the details from her, let her tell her story, let her testify, and it was painful to listen to Tony. This was just 
this was very painful to listen to. Yeah. And and her bravery to to go talk ab- about what you know the the alleged rape and what happened in the brutality, the sheer brutality of it was striking. And then to watch Cohen have to walk into that, sometimes he seemed like he was out of his depth, quite frankly. Uh, Other times he was pretty good, but he just, yeah, comparing him, I've seen Messero litigate, and I agree with you, he's not Messero. And I still wonder, and we've talked about, uh, did Danny Masterson make the wrong decision in firing Tom Messero? You've offered the opinion that Messero was a prelim expert. Could you or elaborate prelim, on prelim that? Prelim specialist. Yeah. I'm yeah. Sorry, I mean, thank you. yeah. Yeah. He he gave, he gave an interview about I don't know six months to a year before the prelim. Somebody pointed it out to me. I'm glad they did because he had he had some podcaster had just invited him on and and Mesro gave a very revealing interview and, and for those who aren't real familiar with it Mesro is one of the most famous defense attorneys in America he defended Michael Jackson Robert Blake um all these big big cases and he was asked uh just generally about his methods and he said in that interview he was a prelim specialist and uh, again real quick for the people who don't know in a case like this, if there's not an indictment from a grand jury, you need to have a preliminary hearing or prelim where you run through the basic evidence for a judge to convince the judge that there's a case worth having a trial over. And so Mesro specializes, he said, in trying to kill a case at that point before it gets to trial. And the example he likes to use is the Robert Blake case, where he says that he destroyed the Robert Blake case so badly in the preliminary hearing, it it wasn't even worth the trial. And when he said that, I thought, I bet that's their strategy in in Danny's case. They think they're going to hire this prelim guy. He's going to go in there and destroy these women in the prelim. They won't even get to the trial. And... um. He, believe me, he is skillful. He did a, he did some really excellent cross-examination of all three women, but they held their own. And Judge Omedo felt that all three, and, and I remember the prelim, she really boiled it down. What it came down to was all three women clearly described sex that Danny Masterson had without consent. And that's the thing. Everything else is just... Like extra. I mean, what really matters in these case in these charges is sexual assault without consent. And she said that they had clearly outlined that in the prelim. She would then hold a trial. And um, after that, I what I remember Jeffrey is that after that, Mesro was just a lame duck. It was very clear he really wasn't doing anything. They had brought on Philip Cohen and Sean Hawley at that point. And they were doing all the briefs, and Mesro was basically just waiting around to be fired so they could use that for a delay. That was my personal interpretation. I might be wrong, but that's what they did. They fired Mesro. Um, they got six weeks out of it, some short amount of a delay, and then headed to trial with Philip Cohen and Sean Hawley. And then Sean Hawley mysteriously disappeared. So it's just been Cohen. And I, I just don't think he was able to cross-examine these women as as well as Mesro did. Yeah, that's an interesting because uh, Mesro did destroy, uh, uh, you know, Robert Blake in the prelim, the whole, he, he did a great job. But I, as I've remarked, he's a dinosaur, in my opinion. His 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 type of defense work is gone. His, he's had his day in the sun, as we saw with Bill Cosby. And um, so, so, Jane Doe was very effective in, in pushing back on him while describing what she went through. And she was very detailed. And, you know, it was, it was clear that there's a pattern emerging of all three women. And they're telling a consistent type of pattern, but it's not a cookie cutter pattern. 
And we'll get and to that. that it, I'm, yeah, 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 I'm glad yeah. you brought that up. We're going to get to that a little later. Let's move on. I want to ask you about um, also this week, we heard from a couple of corroborating witnesses for Jane Doe, too. Jordan Ladd, the actress who is the daughter of Cheryl Ladd, and Jane Doe 2's mother. And I'll just call her that. We're not going to use her name on the podcast. Sure. Um, they were both, I believe, on Thursday. Back, uh, I think they were back-to-back. And I just wanted to get your thoughts. Um, these are not people who were present. They can't say they know that Daddy Madison raped their friend or their daughter. They can't do that. But they're brought in instead to testify to what Jane Doe 2 said to them in the couple of days after the attack. And I wanted to ask you, is that effective? Is that an effective technique? Do you feel that Jordan Ladd and Jane Doe 2's mom added to the prosecution's case with their testimony? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Jane Doe's mother was... uh very powerful and um, she was, she was very, she, she was very, it was obviously hard for her to talk about her daughter having been raped. And she brought up the most interesting thing. She said, she reminded, she reminded the jury, the court, everyone and she's probably in her 70s, say mid-70s, I would guess. She's 75. She's 75. Yeah, okay. So she reminded everyone that back in her day when she was young, rape was very different. It was literally someone in a ski mask, a man in a ski mask putting a knife to your throat right. or a gun to your, you know, a woman's head. Right. And that was, that, that was so jarring because that went to why didn't Jane Doe to immediately say it was rape? And we'll get to that later with the expert that was brought in. Mm-hmm. But but it shows you that consent is the pivot. That's what determines whether it's rape or not. It's consent. It's not it's not the old concept of rape. And where, I'll just I'll know, just I'll just add to that that it's not just that it was the way she thought of it as a as a you know when she was young. She was what she was saying about that about that yeah when you know, rape she thought of as a act committed by a stranger with a knife to your throat. She thought that in 2003 when Jane, when her daughter, when her daughter told her about this and it wasn't until more recently that apparently she and her daughter both began to have different thoughts about that, that rape could be uh, just a matter of consent, even between people that know each other. Right. It was, I, I said the same thing on my video about day is that was to me the most powerful moment that whole day was Jane Doe 2's mom explaining that and it, you know every you know these both sides the attorneys will try to keep witnesses just to give these short little answers that just very keep things very narrow but every once in a while a witness gets to sort of express themselves more fully and this was one of those moments wasn't it oh absolutely and it brought home the power of the me too movement the 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 the, the entire me too movement shifted the perception of culture and i remember back uh, tony i remember i and i have it on my on my blog um that danny masterson early on these allegations became came out around 2017 right right about the time the me too movement you know is is exploding and so I remember, and I have these screenshots, that Danny Masterson's publicist was trying to say these women are gold diggers. Yeah. And that was part of the old style of trying to uh, accuse the victim, shame the victim. And I have those screenshots for saying, Danny Masterson is saying, when I clear my name, I'm suing them for defamation. Right. And he got his... When Jane Doe's mother... Jane Doe 2's mother came up. She really handed Danny his head on a plate, I thought. And I, I watched his body, his body language, his body movement. He was uncomfortable because when, you know, he has to actually confront the mother. That was hard for him, as well as his accusers. You know, this is, shows the power of, 
of how societal changes are important to further the rights of victims. And this is why I think Cohen um, is trying to be cognizant of the laws that have changed to give victims more power in a court. You can't go to that old, <clears throat> that old, you know, how short was your skirt, you know, stuff that was went on in the sixties, right? that kind of stuff. Um, so, so there, we saw the cultural change at work, but the fact that she still held that view in 2003 was interesting and she had to change her and, and, and we'll get ahead to the experts. So that was just an interesting point. We'll, 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 we'll do that in yeah. a minute, but first let me, yeah. let me, I have to make a point sure. because you brought it up and um, it's, it's something we need to address. Um, I just want to talk about the history of the Me Too movement really quick. Tarana Burke actually came up with that uh, phrase in 2006, but it wasn't really popular until it went viral in August 2017 because of Harvey Weinstein. So when exactly. people say so when people say the Me Too movement, they should credit Tarana Burke for for starting things many years earlier. But the, the, the movement, the viral movement, started in August 2017. Well, by then, the Danny Masson case had been public. I broke the story in March 2017. So the reason I'm bringing that up is that these victims wince every time they hear people call this a Me Too case because they really believe that this the Danny Masson case predated the Me Too movement, and the reason why that's important to them, I can tell you, is these women have always felt they did not get the support from the big figures of the Me Too movement that other cases have. And so that's why it's a little tricky. I mean, yes, we're clearly in the Me Too movement era now, and it no doubt may have an effect on the jury and how this case unfolds, but just technically... I know this is important to these women. Their case predated that viral movement, and they have always felt that the Me Too leaders have not, um, you know, given them the support they they really should have. So, just something to keep in mind. But your point is well taken. That no doubt it is shaping what's going on in that courtroom. And, and Tony, absolutely. And let me take a tangent here that's important in terms of Scientology. If we go back to Gretchen Carlson, you know, as part of the Me Too movement. Yeah. In, in 2018, I documented on my blogs, the Scientology Money Project, when, ter when Leah Remini's show, Scientology in the Aftermath, was just blazing red hot. Uh, and it was a big show being watched. And, and Scientology, their Office of Special Affairs poured on an attack and they brought in Mike Rinder's daughter, Taryn Teusch. Yeah. Right. And she tried to hijack and I documented it. She Scientology tried to hijack the Me Too movement and 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 put that whole attack on Mike Rinder. You know, that bogus, that whole phony thing with uh, his ex-wife in the yeah. Sea Org, Kathy Bernardini. And they actually hired Taryn to go to a meeting downtown L.A. where Gretchen Carlson had spoken and she got a picture and used it on her Twitter account. Now, someone who knows Gretchen that reads your blog, The Underground Bunker, and I won't I won't give the name, but they know Gretchen. They contacted Gretchen and she was horrified. She was horrified that Scientology and Terran Church would use her photo and she demanded that that photo be taken down and it was gone. So that's the depths to which Scientology will descend. They will cover up and protect an alleged rapist, serial rapist, while hijacking the Me Too movement to try to kill Leah Remini's TV show. Yeah, That shows you how deviant these people are in the Office of Special Affairs and how Scientology operates. They'll do whatever they can. So that I wanted to add as well, that they have some, uh, they're very dirty in that. So back to the corroborating witnesses, uh, Jordan Ladd, 
I was very glad she took the stand. I thought she contributed. She was very, I thought she, she added quite a bit. Um, it gave, it gave context to what was going on with Jane Doe too. And uh, I, I, I like to see her. Um, she had a great so, presence. I mean, she was an actress. She said she's an experienced actress. She had a great presence on the witness stand. She projected really well. And I know some, you know, some people might say those aren't important things. They are in a courtroom, you know, and um, it was an interesting contrast because Jordan Ladd, she was nervous and she, you know, struggled with a few things, but she was, she had this sort of presence that was really impressive. And then she's followed by Jane Doe II's mom, who, who was just not just was struggling and nervous, but she, she seemed a little frail up there. Um, uh, I understand she's had some health issues and, and, and she's, you know, she did a great job, but um, I, it, it ended up looking to me like Cohen was kind of beating her up a little bit. It was kind of not, not his best moment. But I thought that was an interesting contrast, and I do think both of both of those women did well. Yeah, you know that you, you, I saw Cohen going after her too aggressively as well. Yeah, he was trying to crowd her. He was trying to suggest that maybe her memory was imperfect. Yeah, when she went, when there was actually some emotional upset talking about what had happened to her daughter. Right, and uh, I think the jury saw that as well. You don't. You show you you show respect to someone's mother, right? And he he really blew that one. He he was bad. And I mean, it was he, it's not a huge thing. It was you know, but it, it was less, a, a fairly short thing in a in a long trial. But it made an impression on me that that Cohen, who who was you know, he's polite and he's doing his job, but in this case. It just didn't look good the way he was kind of hammering her. No, and these kinds of, these kinds of things make an impression on a jury. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So we're agreed on that. So the next morning, um, this morning on on Friday, we got the expert, the the sexual assault trauma expert, Dr. Mindy Mechanic, who had most recently worked at Cal State Fullerton, is now working on her own. And uh, you and I got together at lunch, and um, you were telling me how impressed you were by her. T- tell me, tell me again what what it was that you were so impressed uh, about her. Okay, Tony, what I liked about uh, Dr. Mechanic, she introduced the concept of counterintuitive responses that sexual assault victims have. That is, they don't always respond as we would think they would respond. For example. She said that it can, uh, you know, a battered wife, girlfriend, it can often take them seven times before they finally leave an abusive relationship because they keep hoping that this man who courted them, who wooed them, will change back and that the monster they're seeing when he's abusive some percent of the time engages in rape will change. And... She also said that it, she talked about the concept of known offenders. That is a, a man whom a woman knows, his boyfriend, someone that she knows, maybe even a friend at work, that when a rape occurs, she feels it as, as a betrayal when it's in fact a rape. And they go through various states of not wanting to cognize it for what it is, is a rape. Right. Because it's so hard to come to terms with the fact that you have been for some women to, to, to know that they have been raped. And that's why these counterintuitive responses are, are like self-protective mechanisms. They're a denial. I'm like, oh my God, did, did my husband really rape me? And that gets back to the Scientology ethics officer telling one of the Jane Doe's, you can't be raped if you're in a relationship. It's completely not true. You can be raped if you're in a relationship and and that happens. So she was also talking about power derivatives. Victims are more likely to give in or comply when there are power differentials in a relationship. The man makes more money. He's perceived as having more status or power. In this case, Danny Masterson was viewed as an upstat in the celebrity center. And L. Ron Hubbard wrote that, you know, an upstat can get away with murder. Yeah. There's power differential. She brought that out. She brought out labeling. Um, 
that sexual assault victims think in terms of uh, rape is stranger rape, being raped by the man in the ski mask with a gun to your head, right? Yeah. And rather than someone you're intimate with. And um, in longer term relationships, rape can be misperceived as sex is owed. I have wifely duties. Women are not, you know, always prepared to cognize that their boyfriend or their husband is a rapist. And, yeah. and so those, those things she articulated were very interesting to me because it's a sophisticated understanding of the counterintuitive responses because people, she made the good point that people think, well, that's, you know, how I would act if I were raped, it's not the way the actual rape victims react. They react in counterintuitive ways. So that whole concept was very enlightening and powerful and it, it, it aligned what the victims were saying and explained what they were saying. Because most people think if you were raped, what, how could you go back to your rapist? Well, that's counterintuitive, but that's happens. And she said, again, you know, it can take up seven times according to studies. Right. So that, that was very informative and it reinforced what the Jane Doe's were saying. And I was so glad that uh, DA Mueller brought her on to testify. Um, so let me talk a little bit about uh, Dr. Mechanic's cross-examination, because I, I agree with you, Jeffrey. I thought she was really impressive. And she, you know, she really answered some of the th- maybe questions that were hanging in the air about some of the things Jane Doe 2 and Jane Doe 3 had done uh, after the their incidents. Well, um, she was cross-examined by Karen Goldstein and not... Philip Cohen. And, you know, I, I want to see what you thought because I just thought it was bizarre. It, it, her, she just kept bringing, instead of challenging maybe some of the things she said specifically that had something to do with this case, she was basically challenging the very notion of psychology research at all, right? And didn't it come off kind of ridiculous to you? Yes. First of all, she was too tightly wound, too too tense. Okay, I yeah. mean, she should have. Her colleague, Mister Cohen, has a much more relaxed style. He can be yeah. more congenial, if you will. Right. She was going for the throat, like she had to take down Doctor Mechanic as an adversary. And it is a law is adversarial, but yeah, what was so bizarre to me, Tony. Is is um, Dr. Mechanic made it clear that the psychological studies are based on large groups of people self-reporting, and that's right. how it goes, right. right? And and Karen Goldstein wanted to make it sound like self-reporting was perjury. Yeah, and I, she was trying to conflate the two, and 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 you know, Dr. Mechanic with her PhD and thirty years in academia teaching. Uh, she taught at your alma mater for a long time, I think 17 years. Right. Um, very impressive credentials. She's brushing off these criticisms saying that, you know, self-reporting is the basis of how we do research. Right. It didn't seem to occur to, to Goldstein. Now, just on a side note, I want to add um, the basis of Scientology auditing is self-reporting. You go on and you tell your auditor, I'm having a problem with the blue kangaroo on the moon. So whatever subjective content you have, L. Ron Hubbard said you could not evaluate for the preclear, the auditors to take whatever item. So I just thought it was uh, somewhat whimsical that self-reporting is the basis of Scientology auditing. You know, you're auditing (laughs) body state and you're going to self-report. Right. And and (laughs) so Danny Masterson, a Scientologist, is on trial. If he's ever got any auditing, I don't know. But he would self-report, and that would be taken uncritically. But anyway, uh, Karen Goldstein seems to think that self-reporting was somehow sinister or nefarious. And she kept saying, she kept saying, well, if someone who self-reports or, you know, who takes place in a psychological study and self-reports, they could be lying. And the doctor said, well, what motive would they have to lie in a study? I mean, why would you? 
Why would you waste your time? Like, aha, I'm going to be part of a group of 500 students and I'm going to go on and lie. Like, wh- why? And then she brought up the point, is it true that they're compensated? Well, they might get money for gas or their time. And then yeah. sure that they get extra credit in classes and it's mandatory when you take classes. Well, yeah, when you're, a, when you're a psych major, you're going to participate in studies and you're going to learn how to do studies, how not to do studies. It's Tony, and we were talking at lunch. It's the same way I said when I was, a, you know, we we're both English majors, right? And uh, undergrad, you have a master's, of course. Well, when you're an English major, you're going to study Shakespeare. You're going to participate and do all the English major stuff. So to me, it was no big deal, just any more than when Karen... Uh, Goldstein was going to law school, she was going to have to take place in mock trials. Is that sinister? No, that's just part of the educational process, the research process. So yeah, that's just, I I don't know why she thinks she she had a list of prepared questions, which was weird. So it was, uh, it was very weird. And, you know, look, Dr. Mechanic had come in and said, and cited various studies to say that women who are assaulted in a relationship will usually act differently than women who are assaulted by strangers and that uh, women who are assaulted in relationships will have more post-assault contact than a woman who's assaulted in a, by a stranger. Very simple concepts that you would think the jury would think about, oh, yeah, I remember what Jane Doe 1 said about that. I remember what Jane Doe 2 said about that. Texas lawyer had a really interesting suggestion. He said all the defense needed to do at that point was ask, like, one question, and that is, Dr. Mechanic, do any of your studies have anything to say specifically about the facts in this case? And she would have to say no. And then you say no further questions. That's it. And it's not, you know, you're not refuting, you don't have to try to refute the entire field of psychology through a ridiculous set of questions that make no sense. Um, So I just thought it was kind of, you know, I I think I said in my video, it was really a a very different moment in this trial. It seems like it's been very serious and very, very intelligent on both sides. And then it was just comical. For half an hour, wasn't it? It it was. It it was. Yeah. Karen Goldstein is no match for Dr. Mechanic. And when you when you when you want to um, challenge an expert witness, you need to have some sort of verisimilitude to use that word, believability, credibility to know even what the hell you're talking about. To your point was excellent. She's trying to attack the foundation of how they do psychological research. It was absurd, Tony. It was just absurd. It, it misbegotten. was absurd. And maybe that's why Cohen handed it off to her. He didn't want to try to touch this thing. <laughs> I guess so. And now, 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 Tony, we've got to mention something that somebody, I think it was Jeffrey Augustine, heard at Sidebar. <laughs> Okay, I'll, I'll let you. We'll let you do this. So let me just say, yeah, set, set it up. Yeah, Judge Olmedo at the beginning of the trial said she does not like to do sidebars and she does not run to sidebar every five minutes. But they have had to do quite a few of them um, because they're just you know they're running into parameters about Scientology and what to ask uh, witnesses. So every once in a while, they all gather up by the bench. And, you know, you can barely hear a little bit of what they might be saying because they need to be they need to speak clearly for the court reporter to hear them and to keep the, the you know, transcript going, but not loud enough for those of us in the audience to hear. But Jeffrey Augustine told me that how many how long ago was this one day, two days? It was this week, right? That was this week, yeah. Uh, yeah, this week you were able to hear what they were talking about during a sidebar and apparently the defense had an issue with somebody in the court they wanted removed. Why don't you pick it up from there? Well, I heard Philip Cohen say, quote, I want that journalist excluded from the courtroom, unquote. Wow. I wanted that journalist excluded. 
And I knew damn well who that journalist was that Mr. Cohen wanted excluded. And his name is Tony Ortega. <laughs> well, you may be right. I know they're not thrilled. Cohen has tried to drag me into this case numerous times. He's made various references to me without using my name. But Judge Olmedo, she made this clear a year ago. She's just not interested in press coverage. And she's she always says it's irrelevant. And she's just not going to let them drag me or any of the other journalists into this case. So um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, happy that you heard that. I'm, I'm humbled. Um, but I, 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 again, Judge Olmedo, she knows what she's doing. Well, the reason I mention it and, and in context is when Cohen was uh, cross-examining, uh, I think one of the Jane Doe's, I, I don't rem- recall which number, he said, now, Miss Jane Doe, and that way he does, Way he does now, Miss Jane Doe. When you got a copy of the police report, did you leak it to someone in the media, or did you have one of your friends leak it to? And she said, "Stop, irrelevant." Judge Olmedo yeah. said, "Stop." I, like I said, that's Judge irrelevant. Olmedo, she won't put up with that. She's right? not going to go with that game playing. So what I wanted to go is the larger pattern. Thomas Messero argued in the prelim that we didn't want any media coverage. There had to be a media blackout. Judge said, "No." Public has a right. This is in the public interest. If you remember, that was Mestro's big thing, media blackout. Yep. Right. Cohen starts out with, I don't want the word Scientology used. I want it to be referred to as the club yeah. or a religion. He doesn't right. get there. So he doesn't get that censorship. And then he wants, you know, first week out, it was mistrial. Every other word out of his mouth was, I move for a mistrial. <laughs> right. In fact, he opened with, I moved for a mistrial because in the L.A. mayoral race, the candidates are using Scientology. Right. They're both, they're both bashing Scientology. We need a mistrial. So that failed. And then he's trying to, like, trying to get, like, did you leak this to, the police said for you not to talk, blah, 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 and she just cuts him off. Yeah. So a lot of the stuff he's doing is just bouncing off the walls with a dull thud, but he did specifically talk about and I can't say it's you 100% conclusively, but you're certainly up there. I want that journalist excluded from the courtroom. So they're getting down into selectivity. The reason I mention this is there's, Tony, there's some people in the courtroom, in my opinion, that are from the Office of Special Affairs. And after the trial, we'll talk about it. A couple okay. of things that happened. Well, let but me I'm, just, I'm let me just, that. yeah. Let me just say, um, I know they're also unhappy with Noah Goldberg at the LA Times, who wrote the story this week about Joe Raish being disconnected uh, by his children, Alana and Jordan Masterson, who are in the courtroom. So uh, it's possible that they wanted Noah removed from the courtroom. It may not have been a reference to me. But either way, what's what's important to me is that Judge Omedo has just kept that out of this, that it's not about us reporters. It's not about the stories we write. It's about these women, their testimony, and Danny Masterson's defense. And that's that's really what this trial is about. So I'm glad that she's she's been keeping those attempts by Cohen out. Oh, I am too. And I continue to be impressed by Judge Almeida. She runs a tight ship. She, I mean, she's before court, before the jurors come in, she's very personable. You know, she's sort of, you know, she's very personal, but when court starts, she's all business. Yeah. Just to and, give our, just to give our listeners a glimpse this morning, for example, um, she likes to have people there early even before the jury shows up. And this morning she was out there without a robe on and she was talking to Cohen and Mueller about Sandy Koufax and, uh, yeah. some other, and some other athletes. She was talking about, uh, Phelps, the swimmer, and she was talking about, uh, baseball, you know, players and their, their sort of uh, physicality and stuff. She's a huge sports fan. And yeah, she's very personable with all of them. Um, but then she goes back in her chamber, puts on her robe, comes out. She's all business. Yeah. And it, it is, it is uh, very impressive to see how she continues. And it's, this is for both sides. You know, she, yeah. she keeps Mueller on the straight and narrow and Cohen. Uh, 
and so this week uh, we we end up today, uh, Friday, November four. What's your take on today? Well, so Dr. Mechanic was this morning, and like I said, you right. you you found her very impressive. I did too, I, and I think we both found the cross examination kind of absurd. After that was Mariah O'Brien, and I, I I explained in my video uh, at the end of the day that I particularly find her interesting because she was married to Bonnie Rabisi. They have a daughter, uh, Lucia, um, and I had written about her previously. Mariah O'Brien wasn't very happy about it. I don't think I don't know if she remembers me at all. Uh, it's been a few years, um, so I was curious about what she had to say and. I, I guess the thing I wanted to get your take on was real quick. She came in simply for a very simple thing. And that was in 2014, she had a dinner at her house and uh, Jane Doe two was there. And the the subject of Danny Masson somehow came up and Jane Doe two suddenly stood up and said, he raped me. And then, and then she left and Mariah O'Brien was just basically there to confirm that that happened. Uh, and I explained that the reason this is important to the prosecution is with each of these women, they want to show these disclosures because it shows that they were telling these stories and making these claims about Madison before they knew about each other. And that cuts at that cuts away at the defense theory that they dreamed this all up together. No, they were telling separate people these things before. So that was her simple um, testimony. She did fine. There was some she said a few funny things, but what one uh, a couple journalists noticed and mentioned in their stories today was that on her way out, or maybe it was her way in, one or one or the other, she smiled at Masterson and Masterson smiled back at her. Well, they were all friends. They this was all part of the same social set, and I saw some people in our comments saying, kind of criticizing her for that. But I was like, who cares if they smiled at each other? She was a prosecution witness and corroborated what one of the Jane Doe's said. What did you did you have any thoughts about that? No, I thought she was an important part of the structure of showing in the women, the Jane Doe's, independently telling people. Okay, now she did say that she be, became an interior decorator for the Mastersons, right? And that you know she considered them family, which is why when there was a falling out between her and 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 Jane Doe. Uh, two, was it? Yeah. Or yep. three? Yeah, Tino two. Um, right. Oh, it was Tino two. Yeah, she she sort of uh, considered the master. So so she did establish an important fact. She showed up and she shared it. And it it, it 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 as you said, it shows that the women were independently telling people this. I saw the smile. You know, they're friends. Yeah. But she did go in and testify about what she heard, and she left, and it was very short. It was effective for. D.A. Mueller for the for the prosecution. Right. Yeah. And uh, she did say, what was the one thing she said was funny was, uh, oh, she, okay, so she, okay, so this is the other thing. I guess I didn't mention this in the video. Um, the other thing she's important about is not just, I, I forgot to mention this. She's not, she's important not just because she witnessed Jane Doe 2 saying in 2014 that Danny had raped her. But two years later, Jane Doe three, who kind of they were just acquaintances, knew each other a little, reached out to her and um, asked her if she knew about anybody who had been assaulted by Danny. And so it was Mariah O'Brien who then put Jane Doe three and Jane Doe two together. Yeah, so it's it's, a, it's an important it's an important part of that story. And the funny thing she said was they 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 asked they asked her her history with Jane Doe three, and she said that she had no she had seen them together at they had maybe been together at her engagement party or something back in the day back in the early two thousands, and she was asked did you know that she was his girlfriend and she said something funny like he could have had five girlfriends for all I knew. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was revealing. But anyway, the important thing is she shows that link between Jane Doe 3 and Jane Doe 2. I don't know if we're going to get to the link between Jane Doe 1 and Jane Doe 3, which I think 
started everything. But that if if we do, it'll be next week. But the important thing was today, Mariah Bryan, Mariah O'Brien showed how Jane Doe three and Jane Doe two learned about each other and came together. So that was that was important. But again, did she smile at Masterson? Maybe she did, but she provided testimony against him. Yeah, absolutely, and you know, and Mariah O'Brien. Uh, came across as a, a sophisticated person, again, articulate, very sure of herself. So I think that was a, uh, an important link in the chain. And then yeah, we, yeah. Uh, then we move on to. Right. Uh, so the final, the final witness today was detective Vargas and he was, he's the lead investigator uh, from the LAPD. Um, on t- on Wednesday morning or Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday morning, we had previously heard from Detective Reyes, the first LAPD detective. Um, and I, I think I think we can handle them together and just say that in both cases, Detective, I mean, uh, DA, Deputy DA Mueller seemed to be very careful. He didn't really want to get into this whole thing about why Reyes was taken off the case and Vargas got the case. He just wanted to show some corroboration, particularly with Detective Reyes. And then with Detective Vargas today, it just felt like he they didn't want to get into the details of the allegations again. And in fact, I think even Judge Olmedo kind of kept him from doing that. We didn't need to hear the allegations all over again. But she, he was just using Vargas today, it seemed to me, just to go back to some areas where the defense had kind of raised some questions. Did you get that sense? Yeah, but but let me uh, let me go back to when um, what was interesting to me, and I'm looking at my notes. Uh, D- Detective uh, Detective Vargas today, he he noted that the LAPD, when he took over as lead investigator, and before him, the LAPD, both Detective Reyes and and uh, Detective Vargas, wanted to interview Sean Fabos. Oh yeah, that was a great that was a great moment. Now That's this true. is interesting because they went to his residence, did a door knock, left business cards. Right. Detective Reyes called Fabos twice, unresponsive. They wanted him as a fresh complaint witness. Okay. Now what's interesting is he said that their efforts to contact Fabos failed. Fabus's attorney, Vicky Podbersky, Podbersky, yeah, yeah, Podbersky, contacted them, and uh, detective said that he understood that she was an attorney for the Church of Scientology. This is where the jury heard that an attorney for the Church of Scientology was involved in the criminal side of the case with the detectives. Right. Right. He he Vargas, Detective Vargas, said he provided Podbereski a list of uh, witnesses, members of the Church of Scientology he wanted to interview. She promised that she would get back to him and never did. Yep. Now, this was intriguing to me because Vicky Podbereski basically told LAPD to go to hell. I'm not going to produce the clients. You're going to have to come after them. You're going to have to get a subpoena. That shows me this goes directly to, in my opinion, this was directly handled by David Miscavige with a tell them to go to hell. They're not going to have to subpoena them, which they did. You know, they did order uh, uh, Sean Favos to show up. Yeah. And so now we have Scientology's attorney directly implicated with not cooperating with LAPD. And this is something I'd like to see Mueller develop. Why the failure to cooperate if you have nothing to hide. I don't think he will. I, they're running out of time. They're running out of time. He does not have time to do, go into that. I agree with you. I, I would like to see more about that. But, um, you know, they didn't even finish Vargas's cross examination today. And this is maybe what we should finish on, Jeffrey, is looking at Yeah, let's finish on schedule. that. Yeah, let's, let's finish on the schedule. So okay, today was okay, Friday. Well, and Vargas didn't well, even get done. No, and let me need... add. Let, let me jump in, Tony. One yeah. thing that the judge said when the jury was out is, "Look," and you remember she said, "Look, we're not going to go through this because 
Vargas said he had suffered from COVID twice and his memory was a little bit shot. His mind had to keep being refreshed over and over uh, by, by uh, Mr. Cohen showing him the transcripts of the reports. She and the judge said, look, I think the best way to do this is let the jury just play the interview tape. And I think that'll be an important thing because that's the judge wanting to let the I jury. Think gonna, listen gonna, the I think they're going to. I think they're going to talk. talk about that on Monday, but they don't have time. I mean, look. Here's the thing. Let's look at the schedule. So today was Friday. Yeah. There Monday. There's not going to be witnesses. They're going to be dealing with motions. I think they're going to talk about the tape issue. I will be there. Um, there won't be a, a jury, but there will be news. I think they're going to hash out what some of these last witnesses are. Tuesday, they don't even start till 1.30 in the afternoon. And then Wednesday and Thursday, and that's it. They they expect the prosecution case to be done Thursday afternoon because there's no court on Friday. Well, think of all the witnesses that are still on their list. I mean, they've got like 15 more witnesses on the list. They're going to get, they have time for maybe four because they have to bring um, Vargas back to finish his cross-examination and redirect, they still have to bring Reyes back. Her cross-examination was interrupted on uh, Tuesday, on Wednesday, Thursday. So you have to bring those two LAPD detectives back. When are we going to hear from Marty Singer, Lisa Marie Presley, Damian Perkins, Eric Geisler, Rachel Smith, Binky Shapiro, Jane Doe One's mother, Jane Doe One's husband? I mean, they, I don't know. It, I guess there's going to be a lot of people dropped from the witness list. And it's interesting to me that they really think they're going to get that all done by Thursday. And then I guess the defense case will come back the following Monday, which would be the 14th. And um, they've only, they're only going to call a few witnesses, a couple of witnesses. Judge Omedo told these jurors to expect to be through this by November 18th. That's, you know, that's two weeks from today, from yesterday. Um, I don't know, Jeffrey. I, I, I have a feeling that maybe the prosecution padded that witness list and we're just not going to hear from some a number of those names that are on that list. Yeah, that's very likely. That's very likely. Today, look, the, the second half of today with Detective Vargas, I like Detective Vargas. But he, he, he just was slow, and it really didn't go anywhere. Also, I think, I'll make one last point. There was a, 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 a they Cohen has spent far too much time on this unconscious sodomy accusation that of, of December yeah. uh, 2001, I believe. With Jane Doe three, and, yeah, yes, and that's not, and Masterson's not been charged with that. Well, and I think I what's going. Why, well, let yeah. me explain why I think it's going on there, and then we can, you can tell me what you think about it. What's what's going on there is that with Jane Doe three, the big issue. So the big issue with Jane Doe one is the gun, right? The big issue with Jane Doe two is whether she thought of it as a rape or not. The big and whether she got into the fingering. The uh, big issue with Jane Doe two. I mean, Jane Doe 3 is that when she told her husband, Cedric, about that she'd been attacked by Madison, she was talking about this unconscious sodomy in December 2001. But that's not what Danny is facing rape charges over. There was also this incident from November 2001 where she they went to this restaurant. She had a couple glasses of wine. They got up to leave. The next thing she remembers is waking up the next day at home in bed, and he was on and uh, he was on top of her. And uh, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm getting see, even. I'm getting them mixed up. I'm sorry. The November, the November 2001 incident is that um, she woke up. She it didn't involve drinking. She woke up, and he was inside her, on top of her. She fought him. He put his full weight on her. She finally had to grab his hair. He smacked her. And then after she finally pushed him off, he got up by the side of the bed and spit on her. That's the November 2001 incident. And that's the one he's being charged for. 
But what the Cohen is always saying is, but when she told Cedric, when she first went to the police, all she ever talked about was the December unconscious sodomy. And that's why he's making a big deal about it. And so that's why I said in my video yesterday, I said, I understand why Cohen is making a big deal about that, but I don't know that it translates to the jury because isn't the jury just going to say, who cares how the prosecution chose between those two? They're both awful. Danny, obviously, if they're true, Danny obviously attacked her both times. Why does it matter that they chose one incident over the other? Cohen Cohen may have some big thing he's saving for arguments about why it's a bad thing that the prosecution chose the November 2001 hair-pulling incident over the December 2001 unconscious sodomy. But at this point, even though Cohen constantly makes a big deal about that, isn't it unclear why he's doing that, Jeffrey? Well, not to me. I think he's trying to to do two things. He's trying to muddy the waters in order to confuse the jury. Because you yourself just said you got confused. And today, Detective Vargas was confused between the two. He had to switch back and forth. Yeah. To put it another way, my opinion is that Mr. Cohen is engaging in a sleight of hand with the jury to confuse them. Almost like a card trick. And it's dishonest, but he can still do it. I'm not saying it's, it's, I'm not, I'm just saying it's dishonest of him to do it. But as a criminal defense attorney, if he can confuse incidents. So Mueller's job will be to clarify very sharply in closing between the two incidents and why the one was charged and the other one wasn't. But, but it just is. The inordinate amount of time he's spending on it suggests to me that he doesn't have, this is one of the things he can try to sow confusion in the jury. So when they're deliberating, well, they didn't get charged on that incident. Yeah. You know where, where, where I'm going with that? So that's my opinion. Right. And that's, that'll be the state's uh, uh, burden to, to very clarify that, very sharply clarify it. Well, I think, I think Cohen's just trying to get them to say, why did you choose the November 2001 over to the December because it's the December sodomy that she told Cedric about, that she told the Austin PD about, and she was telling people that's the rape, that's the rape. But then suddenly there's this other one. And it's just, I understand why he's doing that, but I don't think he's made it clear to the jury yet why they should be concerned why one of these two horrible incidents was chose to be the charging incident. Maybe it'll become more clear later on. Yeah, they'll but right bring now it it's focus. not very clear. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the state will have to bring that into focus. And 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 so will uh so will Philip Cohen, he'll have to say why it's important. So well, we'll see Tuesday afternoon they'll resume and uh like I said, they've got the state's got a lot of work to do to get everything done in two and a half days, but uh I'm sure it'll be a very entertaining two and a half days and you and I will be there. Right, Jeffrey? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I so look forward to Monday to see what motions uh, both sides bring up. That's going to tell us what's going to happen next. So Monday is very crucial. I want people to listen to your Monday end of day update because that's going to tell us what's going to happen next. Well, thank you. I'm glad you said that because I think some people are worried that Monday will not be interesting because there's no jury and no witnesses, but I think it will. If you remember, the day before the trial started was just supposed to be some routine little hearing, and it turned out to be fascinating. So we'll be there Monday, and I'm sure it'll be entertaining. But Jeffrey, yeah, thank it, you so well, much for another great week. Oh, Tony, yeah. Just let me add one more one more thing yeah. to yeah. Monday, why Monday's so important. The judge said today... They're going to have their initial instructions uh, or their initial discussions about jury instructions. Right, right. And when she said, I I thought they're going to talk about jury instructions on Monday. They're, and she said, we're going to begin to formulate them. And then at the end, we'll make them, you know, we'll laser focus them. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But the fact that they're talking about jury instructions already on Monday and what that's going to consist of fascinates me. 
Yep. And the other the other motions, you know, and here's here's this one more thing I'll end with, Tony. Yeah. Yeah. The way this court has worked and one thing that's aggravated me to no end is prior to court, they did the same type of exercises because people who aren't familiar with court. A lot of stuff goes on outside of the when the jury's not there and the, the court's not in session per se. It's the attorneys and the judge hashing things out. Cohen was able to get the state to agree not to bring up the fact that Danny Masterson's DJ name was DJ Donkey Punch. Right, right. And if that could have been brought into, that would have been so incriminating. Well, but you can definitely argue it would be prejudicial because, and I explained this to somebody before, you can have, you can be a DJ with the name DJ Donkey Punch and not be a rapist. And that's what that's the reasoning for why they're not going to bring it in. Your point's well taken. And uh, I'm just saying that these are the kinds of things that will be hashed out on Monday along with preliminary jury instructions. So that's why I just want your listeners to know, pay attention to your summary on Monday because that's right. going to tell us everything. Right. Okay. Thank you, All Tony. right, man. Thank you, Jeffrey. We'll see you later. Okay. Bye. I'll wreck it